0: Matthew chapter 1, this morning from God's Word, uh, I want to open up with a word of prayer. It's always good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of music. And God, certainly our hearts are reminded of our Savior Jesus during this special time of year. God, I pray that you be with your Word. God, as it's preached and taught this morning, and God, that you might open up our minds in our hearts that we might be receptive and that the seed of your word would fall upon the good soil of our hearts. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship. God, I pray that we'll leave this place changed. We'll leave this place encouraged. and God, maybe we'll leave this place desiring to be used by you in a greater way in the days to come. And God, we thank you for what you'll do. Pray that you be with uh, your message now. God, help me to step back and to allow you to step forward and to have the preeminence in everything that's said or done, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, as we got ready to take up our offering, uh, look around as the song declares. It's beginning to look a lot like. Thank you. You guys are doing pretty good. But the truth is, when we think about that, although it's kind of comical, in reality, if we're not careful, our focus can be diverted. And honestly, we can, become, we can actually become somewhat delusioned uh, with the real reason for the season if we're not careful. We get caught up with the commercialism and the pagan-like practices that actually have seemed to have, ta- to have attached themselves to this special this what what has been referred to as the most wonderful time of year instead of celebrating the fact that God so loved the world what many people do is they're checking their list and they're checking it twice trying to find out who is naughty or nice but in the end when when we're more concerned about whether I have been or whether my child has been or whether somebody has been naughty or nice that it ends up manifesting itself in such a way that we're more concerned with the gifts that we get instead of that unspeakable gift that God has given to each and every one. Sadly enough, our culture has become increasingly secular and has all but eliminated the name of Jesus from this actual, we took up a happy birthday Jesus offering. It's his birthday, it's his celebration And what's what's happening in our culture and our society is the name of Jesus has been systematically removed from the actual birthday celebration that bears his name, Christmas or Christmas. And so today, there's a danger for you and me. Whether you're here and you say, I already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need to know Jesus as my Savior. There's still a danger for each and every one of us as believers. During this special time of year, I look around many times and, and uh, the pews are empty because the sales are in full throttle at the stores. And the problem is, even when we come to God's house many times when it comes to the Christmas season, we actually have a mechanism that we actually turn off. We switch the switch and, and we start thinking of something other than Jesus at Christmas. We start thinking of all the things that we have to do. We have to decorate the house. We have to put the lights on the outside of the house. We have to rake the leaves. We have to go shopping. We have to get, you know, all our stuff together. And so what we do is we end up, we come to God's house and we tune out or, or effectively sometimes what we do is we change the channel, so to speak, from what the Lord actually wants to teach us. He wants to teach us something even in this story that we have heard for many of us so many, many times. And so there is a real danger when it comes to Christmas time. And so I wanted to begin a short message series this month uh, in order to teach us some lessons about Christmas, but ultimately to point us all back, if we need to, maybe to point us all back to the Christ of Christmas. Obviously, the main character of Christmas is the Christ child. Jesus Christ, the Christ child. But there are some other important figures that are recognizable as well. We think of the Christmas story. We think of King Herod. King Herod, uh, that insanely jealous and cruel man who reigned as king over Israel, although he was not a Jew himself. We think of the innkeeper who finally, who finally opened up his, uh, his stable to the traveling couple. We think of uh, the magi or the wise men who traveled from the east following a star. We think of the shepherds. By the way, if you do a little bit of research, you might be interested to know that the shepherds were probably, most likely, young teenage boys and girls. And so we think of the shepherds at Christmas time. We think of the widow, Anna. I remember preaching a message on Anna last year. She was the one who served God. The Bible says in Luke chapter two that she served God night and day in that she was uh, someone who was committed to fasting and praying. Think about Simeon. Simeon, he's the one who who praised God when the Christ child was born. You remember uh, Mary and Joseph, they they show up at the temple and and, uh, they they uh, dedicate the baby Jesus. And Simeon, he holds the baby Jesus and he praises God and then he blesses mom and dad. Of course the Christmas story wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about Mary the young teenage mother the young teenage mother who was a virgin who would become the mother of Jesus Christ the one the very one who the angel Gabriel remember what Gabriel said about Mary he said that she was highly favored oh and so we think about these but many times if we're not careful we kind of gloss over Joseph We kind of look past Joseph. In fact, many pastors and teachers and theologians have referred to Joseph. I was telling Travis earlier, they've referred to Joseph as the forgotten man of Christmas. And yet I would would suggest today that, uh, that Joseph is not the forgotten man of Christmas, but he was a thoughtful man. And so today I want us to see a few lessons from a thoughtful man in the story of Christmas. Indeed, I believe that Scripture... You know, it doesn't reveal much about Joseph. In fact, if you do a study in Scripture, you don't find much about Joseph. Not many sermons are preached about Joseph. Uh, However, Matthew actually gives us a little bit of information that I believe is beneficial, not only for me, but for each and every one of us. And so you say, well, what do we know about Joseph? When you start really you know, whittling it down. What is it that we know about Joseph? Well, from Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Bible tells us that Joseph's father's name was Jacob. tells us his father's name was Jacob. His hometown is Bethlehem. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, we know that because in Luke chapter 2, when Mary and Joseph, they have to travel about 95 miles from Nazareth, the city of Nazareth in Galilee. They have to travel that 95-mile journey back to Bethlehem Because Bethlehem was his hometown, his family's hometown. And so he has to go back there because the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 that Caesar Augustus sent out a decree in all the world that everybody was going to be taxed. So he comes up with this census and he says, everybody has to report back to their hometown. So we know that he's from Bethlehem. We know from the lineage that's recorded here in Matthew chapter 1, we know that Joseph falls right down from the royal line of King David But what we need to remember is that although he is in that royal lineage, he himself is not royalty. He's not a theologian. Literally, what do we know about Joseph? He's a carpenter by trade. In other words, Joseph is a blue-collar worker, if you please. This is what we know about this man. He was a poor man. You say, well, how do you know he's poor? I mean, he's a carpenter. Maybe he made a good living for himself. Well, I know that he's poor because when he actually dedicates Jesus at the temple in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that he and his mother gave two turtle doves or pigeons. Now, that was only a practice that would be used by somebody if they could not afford a lamb. And so we understand that his economic background is one of meager means, if you please. Scripture also reveals in our story, as Travis read, that Joseph is a just man. This means that Joseph was, was, uh, was focused on keeping the law. He was, he was devoted to the law of, of God. And so uh, these are some things we know. Many people have wondered, they say, hey, how old was Joseph? I mean, how old was it? The Bible doesn't really tell us. In fact, there's some schools of thought that think Joseph was between the age of 80 to 95 years of age. Now, everybody, some of you are like, what, what, I never heard that. Well, those aren't circles that I would run in, right? <laughs> there are some, though, that think that he was a much older man. But here's the thing. I have to suggest that that's inconsistent. Because scripture, when it was an older man that, would, that was a would-be father, when it was an older man, you think about Abraham, uh, Boaz, and Zacharias, the Bible explicitly tells us that they were older men. And the Bible never mentions that about Joseph. So I would suggest that he wasn't an older man. Most theologians, when they uh, study what we know about Joseph, they've come to the determination and most agree that he was probably a very young man. Even as, as young as 18 to 20 years of age. And so there's, there's some other study that can be done there. What we do know about Joseph, look with me in Matthew chapter 1. We know that he is a young man who is pledged to be married. Notice what Matthew reveals about Joseph's story. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise, right? When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to notice the word there. It says she was espoused. Now, that word espoused essentially means that this woman was betrothed or engaged to be married. And if you do a further study of the word betrothal or betrothed, it essentially means engaged as an adjective speaking of, uh, of being engaged. And then if you look at the word as a noun, it actually speaks of the person to whom she is engaged of. So Mary was espoused or engaged or betrothed to Joseph. So this is what we see right off the bat. And here's the thing. In this day, in the Jewish culture and uh uh society these marriages were arranged with or without your approval trev how would you like that if mom and dad would arrange your marriage they just pick out somebody for you would you like that no you're not liking that he's like (laughs) he he's like confident he says no no sir i'm not gonna like that sorry abby you cannot arrange his marriage trevor has spoken right people think about it. Think about it. This is, this is the culture in which they lived. So marriages were arranged many times with or without the child's approval. And two sets of parents they would meet, they would draw up this formal marriage contract. I kind of like it. Like draw up a contract. Here's the contract. Makes sense to me, right? And, uh, and so they would draw up this contract and then once the contract was signed, the man and the woman were literally pledged to be married. So in Jewish culture, the betrothal or engagement would typically last anywhere between 10 to 12 months. Seems reasonable. My engagement lasted 18 months. Uh, some may be longer, some may be shorter. <laughs> and, uh, and so Chris and I, when we got engaged, it was 18 months uh, that we were engaged. And so what would happen is typically after that public engagement, uh, there would be a, a, a very public wedding ceremony that would follow. And, and so in many ways, to be espoused was very similar to what you and I would see in an engagement period today. However, there were some differences And so it's important for us to know these differences. In Jewish culture, the pledge was considered as sacred as the marriage itself. In fact, the couple was called husband and wife, but they never lived together during this one-year period. If the man died during the engagement period, the woman would be considered a widow, even though they had never actually formally had a ceremony. Did you know that? Also, the only way to break the betrothal or the uh, espousal or engagement period was through a legal divorce proceeding. In other words, to be espoused, betrothed, or engaged to someone was the same as being married to someone with the exception of living together. The one year waiting period was literally, it was actually, it's like, well, what, what was the waiting period for? Why do you wait? I mean, if mom and dad have signed the contract, we're already considered marriage, why do you wait? It was a year. This is where it becomes important to the story, folks. It was a year to test one another's faithfulness and commitment. Now let's go back to our story. You see, because culturally and spiritually, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, if a woman was found to be pregnant during the betrothal period and hence seen as being unfaithful to her husband the penalty for that and you can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 22 it's an ugly picture but the severest form of punishment there was that they would put the mother in her father's home in the doorway of her father's house and all the men of the town would come and stone her until she died. This is the significance with which the setting takes place. We see Joseph is in a very precarious situation to say the least. And so when Mary turns up pregnant, Joseph knows one thing and he knows one thing for sure. I'm not the dad, so who is? And so when we start thinking about this, I started imagining, what do we think that a young man would feel if this took place in that society, in that culture? Let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes just for a moment in time. Do you think he might have been a little angry do you think i don't know maybe he's a little bit confused i thought we were i I thought we were married what's going on think about all the emotions that are running through his mind anger confusion frustration embarrassment he was probably ashamed it's like you know he's a carpenter and so guess what i've been on work sites i've been in the military right and guess what words you know what travels faster than good news What is it? Bad news. Guess what? I'm guessing he had a few people chirping in his ears. You know? To put it into today's vernacular, I'm sure some of the guys on the site were like, Bro, what is going on? So let's put ourselves in Joseph's shoes and we see that he would have been disappointed. His dilemma is incredible at this time. His fiancée, his betrothed wife, Shows up pregnant. And I don't know about you, but I'm guessing Joseph at the, at the initial response is, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And so look at what verse number 19 says. Verse number 19 says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Remember, I told you he's a just man. So that means he's a devout keeper of the law. Now, remember what I just said about Deuteronomy chapter 22. Uh-oh, we got a problem. What did the law say? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 22 says, put her in her father's doorway of her house and let her be stoned till she dies. That's why I consider Joseph to be a thoughtful man. Notice what takes place. It says, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily or privately. And so this verse, it reminds us that he's a just man. As I stated earlier, he's attentive to the law. But here's where I believe the greatness of Joseph and his role in the Christmas story really comes to light. In spite of the initial evidence in Scripture surrounding her unfaithfulness, not knowing, by the way, all the answers, there's a lesson for us. Uh, Be careful to respond before you know all the answers. Have you ever been part of a situation where somebody tells you something and you're quick to, oh my goodness, what what did they mean? That's why I say slow it down, breathe, and find out both sides of a story before you respond. And so Joseph, not knowing all the answers, but I know one thing, and it's not written in here, but I see that Joseph loves her. He loves this woman, he loves her anyway. She turns up pregnant, and everybody is screaming. Hey, do this, do that. I don't know what the situation was exactly like. All I know is what scripture reveals. But what I also know is that this guy must have really loved Mary beyond whether mom or dad arranged this, this, this wedding. We don't know those details. But what I do know from what his actions followed is that he actually loves her. And so I suggest he's a thoughtful man. Look at verse number 19. Verse number 19 says, I've got it underlined. It says, not willing underline that if you're someone who underlines in your in your scripture not willing just those two words he's not willing to make her a public example even though people are whispering in his ears even though people are telling him hey you ought to do this you are this is how you need to respond he's not willing to make her a public example he cares so deeply for her that he doesn't want to make her or by the way not only her but what about her family he doesn't want to make them a public example either. He doesn't want to put her through humiliation. And so the first part of verse number 19 says he's not willing to make her a public example. But keep reading verse number 19 because then it says, it actually shares with us his initial response. It says, read on, it says not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily or privately. In those days a man could get a divorce in two ways. Two ways. You could stone the woman. We see that from Deuteronomy chapter 22. But two ways you could get a divorce. You could have a public divorce or a private divorce. A public divorce would be to go to a judge in the city gate where everybody and their brother could see. And guess what? She would have been put to shame. She would have been scorned, if you please. But Joseph, he's not willing to make her an example. He's not willing to embarrass her or her family. He decides, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go the private divorce route. This is his initial decision. He says, hey, I'm going to do this. And the way you did that was you actually gave her a decree of divorce in in the presence of two witnesses. And so initially we see here in verse number 19 that Joseph decides to take care of the situation quietly and discreetly to spare Mary any pain. But notice what scripture reveals. This is really cool. Look, at, after he makes his decision to do what he's going to do, he makes the decision, I'm going to put her away privately, he doesn't do it. Notice, he decides what he's going to do, and then he stops, and he doesn't do it. Notice what verse number 19 says again. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily, but while he thought on these things, Let's just stop for a second. While he thought on these things, what did I say? Joseph's confused. Joseph's probably a little bit hurt. He's still probably a little bit angry. He's still probably a little bit disappointed with the turn of events. But like I said, he's a thoughtful man. And so instead of moving forward with his divorce proceedings what we see in Scripture is that he actually takes time to ponder or think about the decision he's going to make. And you say, well, where do you get Joseph as a thoughtful man? Well, you have to understand that the word thoughtful has a couple of different meanings. The first meaning of the word thoughtful is to be absorbed or involved in thought. Just to be absorbed or involved in thought. That's the first meaning. The second meaning is says to show careful consideration or attention to the needs of others. This is Joseph. He takes time to absorb himself, to immerse himself in thought, but he's also so thoughtful that he's already in his heart and his mind considered the needs of somebody other than himself. In fact, the Bible tells us that while he's thinking about these, while he's considering this this option that he has. The Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. It says, look at verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. To you and I, (laughs) the idea of an angel of the Lord appearing And speaking to us in a dream seems a little bit kooky maybe, a little bit far-fetched, but not to Joseph. Do you know all through Scripture you find that God spoke to people through dreams? So I've had people come to me, Pastor, do you believe in in dreams? Absolutely. Pastor, do you believe in visions? Absolutely. Why? Because the B-I-B-L-E tells me so. You remember the song, the B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And if the Bible tells me about it, I actually believe it. And so this angel comes to Joseph, and to be honest with you guys, I think the angel says one thing that Joseph wanted to hear. All the rest, he gets a little bit extra, right? He gets extra information. You know, sometimes we're, 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 we're needing to hear from God. Right, And so we're specifically waiting for God to give us an answer about a job, about a move, about a decision with our family or whatever. And so we need God to reveal one thing to us. And many times the, the great thing about God is he reveals more than just the one thing we're looking for. But I believe the angel actually reveals to Joseph the one thing that he wants to hear. And notice it's right here in verse 20 when the angel says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. That's what I believe Joseph wanted to hear. He wanted to have uh, an assurance that it was okay to take Mary as his wife. And so the angel says, fear not. But the angel's not finished. Because in verse 21, the angel keeps on telling Joseph, it says, and she shall bring forth a son. Now let me ask you a question. When she turns up pregnant and Joseph's minded to put her away privately... He's not wanting to make her a a public example. And all these things are taking place. He has no clue where this baby came from until the angel comes and speaks to him. And then the angel says, hey, fear not to take Mary as thy wife. And then not only that, Joseph, in verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why are you going to call his name Jesus? For he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, what good news that must have been to Joseph. The angel communicating to him the things about Mary. Fear not to take her. Communicating about the baby. The baby's conceived of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost child. It's not some other man's child, Joseph. This is a God child. This is the God man, right? That would have blown even my circuit breaker. And so, amen. Thank you, whoever said amen. This is not a long message, but for Joseph, it was enough. Look at verse 24 and 25. In verse 24, the Bible says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. When Joseph wakes up, he does exactly as the angel of the Lord tells him, to do he breaks with Jewish uh, customs and traditions and the law essentially he breaks that and he preserves Mary's reputation he could have destroyed her reputation but he preserves her reputation you see that in verse 24 and then in verse 25 a couple of things he maintains her virginity so that the, the he safeguards the miracle of Jesus's birth it says he knew her not until until she brought forth her firstborn. He, there was going to be no question that this child was God of very God. So he maintains her virginity all throughout her, uh, through her pregnancy. And then the last thing there in verse 25, it says, And he called his name Jesus. He exercises a father's prerogative to name the child. And when he names Jesus, even though the angel said you're going to call his name Jesus... He was just obedient to what the angel said. He exercises the father's prerogative, and by doing so, that child officially becomes part of his family. Oh, as a just man, Joseph models his faith, his obedience, and his reliance on God for you and me today. In the end, yeah, I'm sure he struggled with all those things we talked about. But in the end, he believes God, and he accepts the word of God. And so here's a few things that I noticed, and... uh, They're going to be rapid fire because our message is just about over. You say, wow, is that it? What what am I going to take away? Well, I want you to take away this. Here's a few things I noticed from Joseph from that story. First of all, I've already said it. He was a thoughtful man. He took time to think about what should have been done rather than being hasty. He was not only a thoughtful man, he was a tough man. He stood in the face of a precarious situation in his life his fiance shows up pregnant and everybody's telling him this that or the other and he says hey guess what they turn around and he's married to her what are you doing what are you doing Joseph you know what the law requires you're a just man you know what you should be doing and he marries her anyway based on what the angel of the Lord says so he's tough instead of being weak he's a tender man instead of being harsh towards Mary You hear nothing about him condemning her. You hear nothing in God's word about him having a cross word to him. Exactly the opposite. He actually desires to maintain her family's name. He's not willing to make her an example. He's willing to take care of the issue before he understands it all discreetly and quietly. And so we see he's thoughtful, he's tough, but he's also a tender man. And then the last thing that I saw in the story of Joseph is sticking with my T's this morning. He's a trusting man. He trusts the angel of the Lord. He trusts what God tells him in a dream. And so I think about this all the time. Thoughtful, tough, tender, and trusting. Let me ask you a question. Are those words that could be used to describe you? Are you thoughtful? Are you tough-minded? When the going gets tough, you know, are you tough? Are you tender? Are you trusting? You see, when I think about being, the idea whether we're thoughtful people or not, do we take time to prayerfully consider What the Lord wants us to do, or how He wants us to respond in a tough situation, or do we just respond? It's like, well, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Or do we take time to hear from the Lord? Do we take time to take it to the throne of God's grace where we might uh, receive mercy and find help in our time of need? Do we do that? Do we consider giving attention to the needs of others? Are we thoughtful? Are we tough minded? When I think of being tough-minded, I ask the question, are we unwavering in our commitment to do what's right? Even in the midst of criticism? Oh, you're going to have to be tough-minded. In fact, Pastor Skinner used to teach us all the time, grow a tough skin, but keep a tender heart. Be tough-skinned, because this world will beat you down five ways of Sunday. But man, you could be tender on the inside. You could be that big old teddy bear. Right? You could be a big old teddy bear. Tough on the outside, but tender on the inside. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit thy works unto the Lord. Are we committing our ways and our works to the Lord? We have to be tough if we're going to do that. Are we tender-hearted people? Do we represent Jesus Christ in a way that communicates his love? Men, do we... Do we represent Jesus Christ in a way that, com- uh, that communicates his love towards our wives? Wives, do you communicate the love of Christ to your husband through your tenderness? What about to our children, to our extended family members, with sometimes we feud with, we fuss and feud. That's why they have a show called The Family Feud, right? We, we feud with family, many times at thanksgiving some of you are still look like you're you're recovering from a period of feuding what about our friends our coworkers and our neighbors are we tenderhearted people or do we think or or, or do we think say and do the things that we want to do regardless of how it turns out oh sometimes we need to stop and ask the lord for wisdom lord help me to be tenderhearted Lord, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, the Bible says, with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Are we tender-hearted? Are we kind people? Joseph was. He was tender-hearted. But the biggest thing, and this is really are we trusting people? Do we trust God even when we don't understand what he may be doing? It's like, God, I don't understand it. Why is this woman that I'm engaged to pregnant? What is going on? What have you done? You've ruined my life. Mom and dad put me in this marriage and now she showed up. She's unfaithful. She's not committed. What is going on? And the, and the angel of the Lord says, hold on. Slow, slow the train down a little bit because this child is conceived of the Holy Ghost. Are we trusting? Are we willing to trust God? Even though we don't understand what may be going on in our lives. In fact, David, the psalmist David, he said in Psalm 18, verse number 2, notice the Bible says, he wrote, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. He goes on, he says, He's my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. In verse 3, he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved From my enemies. David trusted God. Joseph trusted God. Proverbs 3, probably the most iconic verses of Scripture when we talk about trusting God. The Bible says in verse number 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Isaiah 26, 4, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And I was telling Krista last night, the reality is when I think about whether I'm a trusting person, whether I'm tough, whether I'm uh, I'm thoughtful, tough, tender-hearted, or trusting, this last one is the essence of Christmas. It's the essence of Christmas. From Joseph's lesson, we actually are pointed back to Jesus Christ when we consider this question. Am I trusting? Isn't that the essence of Christmas? For God so loved the world, right? He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, that means whether it be you, whether it be me, whether it be anyone, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the essence of Christmas. In fact, in Matthew's Matthew's Gospel here, verse 21, see, Joseph teaches us some lessons, but he ultimately points us to the Christ. Of Christmas and we're reminded through this text look at verse 21 and she shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins two verses later in fact I have a little note out to the side in my Bible two verses later the Bible is referencing what the prophet Isaiah had said more than 700 years ago in Isaiah chapter 7 verse number 14 when it says this in verse or 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Interestingly enough, in verse 21, the Bible says you'll call his name Jesus, which actually refers to the fact that he is Savior. In verse number 23, the Bible says they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And the truth is, folks, we need both. We need both. We need Jesus to be our Savior. And the only way that God could do it was to reincarnate himself as a baby, in the form of a baby, to save our souls. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you have to have the Christmas story to get to the Christ of Christmas. You have to be able to see what God was doing. And so this morning I simply say whether you know him or whether you need him. Whether you know him or whether you need him, this invitation is for you. You say, well, I know Jesus. Then this invitation is for you to praise him to sit right where you are, to come to the altar. I mean, what was the last time somebody actually came to the altar for the explicit purpose of praising God? What a novel thought, to come to his altar and to praise him for for the Christmas story, the Christ of Christmas. So whether you know him or you need him, this invitation is for you. So if you know him, you ought to praise him. And if you need him, the Bible is pretty clear. It says that we don't have a blank check on tomorrow. Listen, my life's a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. And so if I don't know him and I need him, that's the beauty of the Christmas story. God loved you and he loved me enough to be willing to send him so that you and I could actually enter into a relationship with God through his only begotten son, Jesus. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ, I beg of you, Don't walk out these doors today without Jesus being your Savior, without Jesus being the Lord of your life. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.